Can I ask you tonight, please, to turn in your Bibles to the book of James in the New Testament. The book of James comes immediately after Hebrews and just before Peter, his two epistles and the epistles of John. So it's James chapter 1. And it's so encouraging to see so many in the meeting this evening. I want to thank the Reverend Patterson for his words of welcome. I didn't expect there to be so many here. Usually whenever my name's announced for a meeting, that just depletes the crowd. So maybe that's been hidden tonight. We're just delighted to see you. And I know tonight that God is interested in individuals. And if you read the gospel records, you'll soon learn that the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was interested in young people. And he's interested tonight, I believe in you. With all of the struggles and trials of life and the temptations that we face and the temptations that you face, there's a Savior that is interested in you. And it's our prayer tonight that you will hear his speaking voice through his precious word. And that you will know tonight that you're loved and that you'll respond in your heart and give your all to the Savior and live a life of worth in the Lord's eyes. I pray that God will encourage you and strengthen you if you're saved and give you grace with all of the trials and temptations of life. James chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 2, and then there'll be a little break and we'll go across to some verses a little bit later on. But James chapter 1 and verse number 2. <clears throat> James says, My brethren, Count it all joy when ye fall into divers or different temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. And then down to verse 12, verses 12 through to 16, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. And God will bless this reading of his precious word to all of our hearts. Can we pray together briefly and invite the Lord to speak to your hearts? Let's still our hearts and souls in God's presence. I'm not sure what you're going through or what state of uh, mind you've come to this meeting in, but I know that we all need the Lord. So let's pray to that end that God's Spirit will speak to your hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank and praise Thee for the opportunity of coming before the throne of God itself 
In the precious name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee, Lord, tonight for thy word. This precious book that God has given. And we thank thee that this book, the Bible, is the best instruction before leaving earth. And Lord, thou knowest, O God, every heart and every life this evening. And Lord, we know tonight that we need God. We pray, therefore, for the help and for the anointing and for the infilling of the Holy Spirit of God. Uplift our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless and encourage every young person here this evening. Some, O oh God, that are not saved, bring them to the cross. Some, perhaps, Lord, that have grown cold. Lord, rekindle that fire. Some, perhaps, that are lacking assurance. Some that are struggling. Some, O oh God, that are seeking help and grace in the Christian life. Lord, we thank Thee that Thou art able to meet the need. Hide the preacher behind the cross. Uplift the Lord Jesus Christ. Glorify Thy Son. For it's in His name and for Thy glory that we ask these things, giving thanks in the Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. Now, I've been asked tonight to speak upon a subject, the subject of temptation, and it is a subject that concerns Every single one of us and every single human being outside of these walls knows what it is to be tempted. Regardless of what your background is, your culture is, your thoughts are, your beliefs are, your desires are, temptation is something that is common to every human being. Many Christians struggle with temptation. Some Christians, perhaps, professing Christians, maybe do not struggle with temptation because when they're tempted without trying to resist it, they yield to it immediately and they give in. But if you're wanting to walk with God and please God and grow in grace and develop as a Christian and be of use to God, you will struggle oftentimes with temptation. Temptation can be strong. We can be tempted to sin. We can be tempted to compromise. We can perhaps even be tempted to quit and to throw the towel in. Whenever the heat of the battle gets stronger and hotter, sometimes we can be tempted in our hearts and lives to think, is it really worth it? Others that aren't walking with God aren't struggling perhaps the way I am. And especially whenever we have the idea that nobody else is tempted the way you are, we can often feel inferior and somehow think that the temptations that we are facing and struggling with are entirely unique to us. And the devil can accuse us that we're not saved at all or we're not really getting anywhere with God. But Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, in their sinless state, were strongly tempted by the devil and by the flesh to disobey the Lord. And tragically, they yielded to that temptation. God's servant Elijah, the great prophet, the Bible says, was in all points. He was a man subject to like passions as we are. He knew what it was to be tempted. He knew what it was to be discouraged. He knew what it was to want to quit and to throw in the towel. Furthermore, we read about Daniel, tempted to defile himself with the king's meat. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tempted to bow down and worship that graven image. 
David, a man after God's own heart, tempted to sin against God in a, in a sexual way, in a moral way with Bathsheba. He yielded to temptation. And dear friends, tonight even our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, the Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, was on all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So many people in the Word of God were tempted. So whatever you're struggling with tonight as a Christian, whatever you're tempted with tonight as a believer, do not think for one moment that that is unique to you. All of God's people struggle with temptation. Now James chapter 1 speaks a lot about temptation. In verses 2 and verse number 12, it mentions the word temptations, my brethren, Count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptations. Verse number 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. And the thought behind verse 2 and verse number 12 with regards to temptation is trial. Sometimes believers go through trials and their faith is tested. And sometimes that trial, Peter says, can be a fiery trial. Peter says we're not to think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Believers face trials. Their faith gets tested. Their faith gets stretched. Their faith gets resisted. And then in verses 13 and 14, James speaks about temptation of another sort. Temptation to sin. Temptation to disobey God. Temptation to dishonor God. Temptation to violate your conscience. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God, listen, cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away with his own lust and enticed. And so we're going to speak tonight for a little while, very simply, upon this great subject of temptation. And I want you to consider, first of all, very briefly, a thought that we can gather from verse 13, the distinct possibility of temptation. The distinct possibility of temptation. Temptation is possible every hour of every day. Wherever we go in life, there's always the distinct possibility that we are going to be tempted. Something catches our eye. Something gets into our ears. Something draws away the thought. Something gets into the heart. And we find ourselves maybe being tempted. It says in verse number 13, Let no man say, not if he is tempted, but let no man say when he is tempted. So temptation, like trial, is something that we are to expect in life, especially in the Christian life. Trials in the Christian life are real. We face them all the time. And so it is with temptation. It's a certainty. It's a distinct possibility. We need to live to expect temptation on every hand. Before Jesus Christ, the Son of God, commenced His earthly ministry, we read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, that He was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, the Bible says, He was tempted of the devil. Now, the Lord's temptations were entirely unique. All of the temptations that he experienced came from outside of himself. 
So often whenever we are tempted, it's our own hearts that tempt us. But the Lord was tempted in all points like as we are. But the temptations that he experienced came from outside of himself. Friends, tonight there's no such thing in the Christian life as sinless perfection. There's no such thing in the Christian life as getting the root out some people used to speak about. Getting to a place where you'll never struggle with temptation. You'll never be tempted to dishonor God or disobey God. There's no such thing, I believe, as being free from temptation. Because the flesh, the Bible says, is weak. And while we are here in our bodies on this earth, the flesh will be weak and there will be times whenever you will be tempted. Temptation, therefore, is normal for every Christian. Temptation is normal for every human being. It's never a sin to be tempted. The problem is whenever you yield to temptation. Hebrews 4 says, Jesus Christ our Lord was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted, but he never yielded to temptation. He wasn't tempted in himself to yield, although those temptations were real and those temptations were strong. Adam and Eve, as we have said, in their sinless state were tempted. The problem is whenever we solicit temptation, and we open the door in our hearts and lives to it, and we court it, and we flirt with it, and then we allow it to take root in our hearts. Martin Luther, the great reformer, once made this statement. He said, I cannot stop the birds flying over my head, but I can stop them from making a nest in my hair. And what he meant by that was, I cannot stop temptations from coming, but I am responsible for what I do with those temptations, and I shouldn't allow them to take root. Temptation is real, a distinct possibility and a distinct probability of temptation. Verse number 13. But also in verse number 13, we have what I'm going to call the deceitful principle of temptation. Dear friends, tonight temptation is a very deceitful thing. Whenever you face temptation, it promises so much. But whenever you yield to temptation, it delivers so little. Temptation writes checks that it is not able to cash. Temptation is a very deceitful thing. And yet there is a principle within each and every one of us that is just as deceitful as the temptation's that we face. Now verse number 13 is explicit. It shows us where temptation does not come from. Look at what it says again in verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Temptation does not come from God. But sometimes we have a way of justifying temptation. And like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, after they yielded to temptation, rather than acknowledging their sin, they began to blame one another. And Adam ultimately began to blame God. Do you remember what he said? Lord, the woman whom thou gavest me offered me the forbidden fruit, and I took off it. 
And it was almost like Adam was saying, Lord, if you hadn't put this woman in my life, I wouldn't have been tempted and I wouldn't have yielded. And Lord, really, it's because of something you brought into my life. Something that God wanted to be a blessing in Adam's life. Whenever he sinned, he shunned his responsibility and he began to point the finger of blame at his wife and at the Lord himself. And we can sometimes be tempted to do the same. God knew all about it. God allowed it. God allowed me to be in the place of temptation. And I yielded. And we sort of threw off any sense of responsibility. If you have a sense of the sovereignty of God that allows you to get away with sin, you need to look at your theology. God cannot be tempted with evil. And the heart of God does not place man in a position whereby they're going to be tempted to sin. I'm not sure, I'm sure some of you have heard of the DeLorean Motor Car Company uh, between Lisburn and Belfast in a place called Derriaki. An American engineer by the name of John DeLorean, who used to work for Pontiac, set up a business in Belfast, began in late 70s, 79, really went into production in 1980, 81, But by the summer of 1982, John DeLorean's great business was struggling financially. John DeLorean was desperate for investment. He was called by a certain individual and asked to meet in a a hotel in Los Angeles. And after a period of time and discussion, John DeLorean agreed to traffic $24 million of cocaine. The individual that he was speaking to was unknown to him, an FBI agent. And whenever he ultimately agreed to this deal, he was brought before the courts and a two-year trial ensued. And after two years, John DeLorean was found not guilty on the basis of entrapment. It was a remarkable conclusion to a lengthy case. And the whole idea behind entrapment was that this man was led into a place of being tempted to do something that he would not ordinarily do, and he actually accused the people that had found him guilty of entrapment. And some people have the idea that God works in a similar vein, that God somehow lures us into a place whereby we're tempted to sin and dishonor him, but that is not how God works. Our text is explicit. Temptation does not come from the Lord. Our text, furthermore, is insightful. It shows us where temptation comes from. Some temptation is secular. This world can tempt us, especially in this digital age in which we're living. Every time you lift a phone, every time you swipe your finger, you can be brought into a place of temptation. Some temptation is secular. A lot of temptation is satanic. One of Satan's titles is the title of the tempter. Sometimes we have in our minds a caricature of the devil, that he's this ugly, terrifying being, and in a spiritual sense he is. But the Word of God says that Satan has transformed himself into an angel of light. And whenever Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, the Word of God says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. 
And we sometimes have the image in our mind of this ugly snake or lizard-like being crawling through a tree that is ugly and vile and ferocious looking. But Satan did not take on, or the certain did not take on that appearance until after the curse. I believe that whenever Adam and Eve began to talk to the serpent, that the serpent had the appearance of something or someone that was beautiful and alluring. They didn't feel threatened. They didn't run away and hide. They didn't cower and think, what a disgusting being. And they didn't run away in fear. There was something alluring about the way the enemy came. Paul says we are not ignorant of his devices. Some temptation can be secular. Some temptation can be satanic. But James says that a lot of temptation comes from self, from within our hearts. It says in our text, verse 13, that every man is drawn away. Verse 14, every man when he is tempted is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. The word lust indicates the desires of the heart. Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Alan Redpath was a famous preacher of a a bygone generation. So much of his ministry uh, focused on the spirit-filled life, Christian service, prayer, revival, holiness of life, sanctification. And on one occasion, Dr. Alan Redpath said as he was preaching that there is not one sin that I am not capable of committing five minutes after the meeting is over. He knew something of his own heart. We are tempted oftentimes by our own hearts. Modern psychology often tries to cover up the depravity of the human heart. And they'll say it's because of your background, it's because of your surroundings, it's because of influences in your life that you've turned out a certain way and you made certain choices and you made certain decisions and it's not really your fault at all. Now all of our surroundings and circumstances can contribute to our decisions and our choices. But the reality is it's our hearts, our lusts, the things that we desire. So first of all, we have thought about the distinct probability of temptation. We have thought as well now about the deceitful principle of temptation. Consider as well the defined pathway of temptation. Look at what it says in verse number 14. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Lust is the first step in the pathway of temptation. What is lust? Lust is a strong, natural desire. Lust speaks about the longing and the desire of the heart. Now, it's good to have right and noble desires. And there are many natural desires that you have as young people, as teenagers, as young adults. Desires that are right and desires that are natural and desires that are good in and of their place. But our sin nature can so easily twist and corrupt our desires and lead us to desire things that are wrong and desire to pervert things that are right. Whenever Eve looked at that tree of knowledge of good and evil, do you remember what the Bible says? When she saw, there's the lust of the eye. When she saw that it was a tree to be desired, there's the lust of the flesh. 
When she saw that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise, there's the pride of life. And as she looked, and as she lingered, she began to long for that fruit. Not so much to see what the fruit tasted like, but to see where disobeying God would lead her. And there was lust, this inordinate desire for something that God, in his goodness and wisdom, had told her to stay away from. And there are many things in this world that God exhorts us to be careful of, and many other things that God says, stay away from those things. Do not look at them, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, for example, concerning wine or alcohol. It says, look not on the wine. Don't look at it. Because if you look at it, you'll desire it. And if you desire it, you'll be tempted. And if you're tempted long enough, eventually you yield. And once you yield, you open your heart's door in your life for something that can destroy you. That's why the Bible says we're to be careful about what we look at. And we're to be careful about what we listen to. And we're to gird up the loins of our minds. Because temptation will always appeal to our senses, our lusts, our eyes, our ears, our flesh, and our hearts. Lust is the first step in this defined pathway. Then the second step is enticement. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now what does enticed mean? It has the idea of a fisherman. And he goes down to the river's edge or down to the lakeside or down to the sea. And there's a particular type of fish that he wants to catch. And if he has done his research right, he knows what type of bait that fish will go for. And so he puts that bait on his hook or he attaches that lure to his line. And he casts the line in something that appeals to the nature of the fish. Now what one fish might desire, another fish might not have such an appetite for. And we are all different. And the things that I might be tempted with might never tempt you. And the things that you might be tempted with might never tempt me. But the enemy knows and our flesh knows the very things that we desire. The very things that will entice us. And this world has got a remarkable way of appealing to our senses and baiting the hook. The fruit looked pleasant to Eve and to Adam. And they were enticed by it. And they began to have this longing in their hearts. Whenever David was sitting in the roof of his house and he looked across the street, he saw a beautiful woman called Bathsheba. And instead of turning his eyes away, he looked and he looked and he looked because he was on his own and there was no shame in his heart whenever he was on his own. And the more he looked, the more he longed and the more he lusted. And then it wasn't long before he had acted on those desires and his whole life was plunged into despair. Whenever Achan saw that gold and that Babylonish garment and he looked at them, there was an enticement and he was drawn in. Alcohol and sex and drugs and pornography. And the things of this age and the things of this world appeal to the flesh and can entice us. And it might even be legitimate things that initially draw us in. Lust is the first step. Enticement is the second step. And then being drawn away is the third step. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. This is like the, 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 the fish taking the bait. 
and the hook lodging in its mouth. And the fisherman beginning to draw and reel in that fish, or the fish being caught in a net. It's a little bit if you're ever in the ocean swimming and you get caught in a riptide or caught in the current. 22 years ago, I went out to South Australia, and there's a few lads in the church there that were interested in surfing and bodyboarding, and we used to go out together. And sometimes we would go out on our own as well. And there was a beach not far from where I lived called Wreck Beach. It was called Wreck Beach for a reason, because many ships had been wrecked on the, on, the, on the sands and the rocks around that beach because of the strong currents. And sometimes whenever you swam out to try to catch a large wave, and your face was towards the horizon, and you weren't looking behind you, you could get caught so easily into a, a current and into a, a tide that brought you so far away from where you thought you once were, you got drawn away. And sometimes you found yourself struggling. And maybe that's you tonight in the Christian life. You've had your eyes towards the horizon of this world. You've got drawn away from where you once were as an individual, maybe where you once were as a Christian. And if you were to look back tonight, how far you've got from grace and how far you've got from God, you'll realize I've been drawn away. I've been caught up in the current. Caught up in the tide, I didn't maybe mean it to go so far. I remember whenever I was a young believer growing up and talking to some older Christians about the things of this age and what's acceptable and should Christians drink and should Christians do this and that and the other. And if you're not going to drink, well, what about going to the nightclub or going to the pub and just sitting and drinking a Coke or some other thing? And somebody said this, they say, if you sit all day in a barber shop, eventually you'll be tempted to get a haircut. And I knew what he meant by that. Everybody else is getting their haircut. Why should I be the only one that isn't? And if you go to the places of this world and, and you see the things that everybody else is doing and you're the only one that isn't and you're there and you linger there and you stay there and you look around you and all of the things appeal to your senses, soon you'll be drawn away. There are certain sites on the internet, certain apps on your phone, certain physical places in this world and best not to visit them, best not to open the door and look in. Because you can be drawn away. You can be enticed. And then the last step in this defined pathway is destruction. Verse number 15. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Just trying to think of an old quote that I heard. Ralph Waldo Emerson was an old preacher. And he says, if you sow a thought, you reap a desire. If you sow a desire, you reap an action. If you sow an action, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. And if you sow a character, you reap a destiny. And so our destiny begins with the thought life, the things that we meditate upon. And lust, when it is finished, the desires of their heart can lead to sin, and sin ultimately leads to death. Not just physical death, not just spiritual death, but it might even be like Adam and Eve, the death of happiness, the death of contentment, the death of fellowship with God, the death of trust the one towards the other, the death of contentment, the death of peace within your heart. 
And it's good to recognize whenever we're being tempted and to step back and say, no, I can't do this, I can't handle it. In 1975, in May 26, 1975, a famous motorcycle stuntman, Evil Knievel, was in Wembley Arena. The amazing thing about Evil Knievel was he became more famous for the jumps that he didn't make than the ones he did. And the jump in Wembley Arena in 1975 was to be the biggest jump of his career. He was going to jump 13 double-decker buses in his Harley-Davidson motorcycle. The thing was, it was such a risky thing that they didn't take time to practice. In case, big, large crowd, and you get injured in practice, and people get let down, you have to give back your tickets. And so he arrived in Wembley Arena. Tens of thousands of people were there to watch him make this jump. He went right to the back of the stand where the takeoff ramp was and revving his motorcycle and looking down the ramp towards the buses, he turned around to one of the organizers and simply said, I can't make that jump. And he says, well, what, what do you mean you can't make it? And he says, this bike isn't geared right and the, the, the takeoff ramp isn't long enough to get enough speed and momentum to make those buses. I can't make the jump. And he says, well, do you want to call it off? He says, well, I can't call it off now because everybody's paid to watch the great show. And so off he went. And guess what? He didn't make it. He broke his back. He broke his pelvis. He broke his arm. He broke his hand. He suffered concussion for many days after it. His body was mangled and wrecked. And sometimes we have to just acknowledge whenever there's temptation out there, I can't make it. I have to back off and back away. Joseph, whenever he was in the house of Potiphar's wife, and she tempted him, and I'm sure she was a good-looking woman, he ran away because the temptation was real and the temptation was strong. Notice something else tonight about temptation. Verse 16, the definitive peril of temptation. Do not err, my beloved brethren. The word err there means to wander into the pathway of error. It can happen so easily. And James isn't taking the moral high ground here. James is calling these people that he's writing to beloved brethren. They're Christians. People that he loves. And he knows his own heart. And he knows their hearts. And he's acknowledging it is so easy for us to err and to take the wrong pathway in life. If you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim's carrying the burden on his back. He's making for the celestial city. In the process of time, the way gets a little bit hard and difficult and the terrain below his feet is stony and narrow and starting to go uphill. And he looks to his side and he sees a stile over a fence into a beautiful, lush, green, green field, green pasture. And so he decides, I'll go this way, but I'll still keep heading the same direction. And he didn't realize that he was going into bypass meadow. He thought that there was an easier way. And it wasn't long after that before he was in Doubting Castle. And giant despair was tormenting him. And he was ready to throw the towel in and end his own life because he felt he had made such a mess of things. It is so easy to err and to go the wrong way and to go the wrong direction. The book of Proverbs 27 verse 8 says, as a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is the man that wandereth from his place. Can I challenge you tonight? Can I ask you? Have you wandered a little bit off the beaten pathway? Have you gone into bypath meadow? Maybe you're happy there at present, but you don't realize that down the road there's going to be Doubting Castle. 
and giant despair and the dungeons of discouragement? Are you still in the place with God today that you intended to be one year ago? Many have wandered like the, the bird that wanders from her nest, like a man that wanders from his place. Many have wandered away from God's house. Many have wandered away from God's people. Many have wandered away from God's word. Many have wandered away from the place of prayer. And it might have been something entirely legitimate that took them away. Sometimes when we think of temptation, we think of things that are overtly evil and wicked and wrong. But it might be something entirely legitimate. A friendship that starts out in in an innocent way. It might be a hobby. It might be a business. It might be an organization. It might be something that just begins to sap your time and your zeal and your energy. And before you know it, you're not really walking with God at all. You're like Peter, following the Lord afar off. And then shortly he was denying that he knew the Lord altogether. One last thought and we're finished. We have thought, verse 13, the distinct probability of temptation and also the deceitful principle in temptation and then the defined pathway of temptation and the definite peril of temptation. But we need to finish, don't we, in a positive. How can we have victory whenever we're tempted? The determined prevailing over temptation. Look at verse 12. It says, blessed. The word blessed means happy, Happy under God, happy in Christ. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that believe. Now, in verse 12, the idea of temptation, it really means trial. When your faith is tried. But the principles of reward are the same. The Christian can be victorious both in trial and also in temptation. But you'll notice it takes endurance. Verse 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Don't throw in the towel. Just because you're tempted again and again and again. Don't have this idea that you're so weak and so frail that you can't live the Christian life. And then you think, well, maybe I should just throw in the the towel and quit and give up. What are you supposed to do instead? Well, I believe it's important to pray. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Jesus Christ our Lord taught his disciples in Matthew 6 to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then as well as prayer, there needs to be a resting on the word of God. The more of the Word of God you know, not just in your head, but in your heart, will strengthen you in the Christian life. Matthew 4, you read about the Lord's temptation in the wilderness. And every time the Lord was tempted, he turns around to the devil and says, It is written. And he quotes again and again the Word of God. And whenever you have the Word of God in your hand and in your head and in your heart, it'll help you as the sword of the Spirit to resist temptation. Prayer, rest in the word, and then a looking to Christ. There's a lovely verse in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18. And it says that our Lord Jesus Christ, who was tempted, is able to succor or support or strengthen those that are tempted. Whenever you're tempted, you can bring all your temptations to the feet of the Savior. 
and say, now, Lord, you're able to help me and support me. Your word says that you're touched. That means moved with compassion at the feelings of my infirmities, my weakness. And, Lord, I'm being tempted. And, Lord, I'm weak. And, Lord, I need you now. Help me. Strengthen me. Support me. Succor me. Deliver me. Draw near to God. And then the book of 1 Corinthians speaks about a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So that means that the temptation that you're facing is common to so many others. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or not allow you be, to be tempted above that that you're able. But will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And sometimes that way of escape is just to run. Get off that phone, get off that tablet, off that computer, switch off that television, get out of that place, get out of that company, and get away and just run. Sometimes it's the wisest thing to do. I heard about a little boy, and he was in the pantry in his home, and he had the lid off the cookie jar. And his mother heard what he was doing, and she knew fine well what he was at, and she said, son, what are you doing? And he says, I'm just trying to resist temptation. But it wouldn't be all that long before he would want one of those cookies and start to eat them. And soon, if he's like me, they'd all be gone. And sometimes we put ourselves in the place of temptation whenever we really should be running away. Jesus Christ, our Lord, says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, if your right hand offends you, that means causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. Or if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. Better to enter into life maimed than having two hands or two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Now, I believe the Lord was speaking very solemnly and very seriously. He maybe wasn't speaking in a literal sense that he literally wants you to maim your body. But he's saying if there's something that causes you to sin... And even if it's precious to you and dear to you and it hurts and it's costly to get rid of it, get rid of it. Better to have nothing to do with it than to allow it to cause you to sin. And if that means having filters on your phone and filters on your computer and not going certain places and not running with a certain crowd and getting rid of a television maybe in your bedroom or some other thing, even if it's costly, get rid of it. Better to enter into life maimed than be cast off and lost forever. Tommy Cooper was an old comedian. He's probably not all that funny by today's standards, but he used to have these corny jokes. And one was, he went to the doctor and says, Doctor, I have broken my arm in three places. And the doctor says, well, don't go back to those three places. And friends, if there's places that break you and break your fellowship with God and break your walk with God, don't go to those places. Hang about with people that are going to edify you. Go to places where your faith's going to be built up and strengthened. Whenever you see something online, get rid of it. Swipe across or turn off your phone. Do things that are edifying. Replace those things that tempt you with things that build you up and encourage you. So there needs to be an enduring of the trial. And then lastly, there needs to be an envisaging of the prize 
It speaks there in verse number 12 about those who endure temptation when they're tried shall receive the crown of life. Many times the word of God speaks about the crown. The crown is often indicative of that award that is given to an athlete whenever they win a race or they do well and they get to the podium and there's a a crown placed on their brow and it's to say, well done, you've won a good race, you've ran well. And James says here that if we endure temptation, God will give us a crown of life. It denotes the reward for the faithful. Revelation 3.11 says it's possible that your crown be taken. You can't lose your salvation. But you can lose so much of the reward and so much of the joy of salvation if you yield to temptation. Now I don't know you very well, most of you, and many of you don't know me. But it may be tonight you're here and as we speak about these things, there's guilt in your heart. There's a guilty conscience. You feel that you can't be honest and open with the person beside you or maybe the people that you came with. And there's things that you've been looking at and things that you've been indulging in and things that you've been listening to and and you feel so tremendously guilty. And whenever you try to pray, those things rise up against you. And then you've maybe made God promises and you say, Lord, if you forgive me this one time, I promise I will never go back and, and do that thing again. And you've broken your vows and broken your promises and you've yielded and you think, well, there's no point me trying to live the Christian life. I'm worthless. Can I tell you tonight that God's love is unconditional? The the Bible says in the book of Hosea 14.4, I will heal their backslidings. I will love them freely. Failure does not need to be final. Jesus Christ shed his blood upon a cross. Think about that. He shed his blood upon a cross so that your sins could be forgiven. He suffered and bled and died. He was buried. He rose again to pay the price for sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And God loves you tonight. The Christian life is not a box ticking exercise. It's not about the effort of the flesh. It's all about God's grace in Christ. Displayed at the cross. And you can come again and again and again. It's not a license to sin, but whenever we feel our need for grace and for forgiveness, he's plenteous tonight in mercy. Temptations are everywhere, but so is grace. So is God. I trust tonight that God will encourage you in the Christian life, that God will give you victory, and that God will bless you in a wonderful way. I'm going to ask Mr. Patterson to close the meeting. Thank you so much for your attention. It's been wonderful. And if we can help anybody or pray with anybody tonight or open the scriptures to you if you're struggling and you need someone to talk to in confidence or maybe you've backslidden and got away from God or maybe you're not a Christian at all and you're struggling with temptation and you want to live a life of worth and purpose that honors God, come and speak to us. Speak to Mr. Patterson. There's other ministers here tonight. But do business with God. May God bless you, young people, and thank you so much. Thank you.